Parashas Baaloscha ends with the story of Miriam and Aaron speaking about Moshe, speaking against Moshe. What do they speak about? Regarding the Kushite woman that he married. In case you were wondering, Moshe married a Kushite woman. What did they say about him? Torah is very unclear. By Yomaru, they said, does Hashem speak only? Does Hashem speak only with Moshe? He speaks to us as well. We're prophets also. and Hashem heard. Moshe was very humble, exceedingly humble. more than any other man on the face of the earth. Hashem called out Miriam and Aaron, and he reprimanded them. He said, "Let me explain something to you." Other Nevi'im, you have Nevuah, other Nevi'im. Hashem speaks to them through a Mara, through a vision, through a dream. Moshe is different. He's trusted throughout my house. I speak to him mouth to mouth, face to face. With a clear vision, not with riddles. He sees the image of Hashem. Why were you not afraid to speak about my servant Moshe? And Miriam is afflicted with Taras. Very, very mysterious story. What did they say? It says they spoke about the Isha Kushis, because Moshe married a Kushis. First of all, did Moshe marry a Kushis? Moshe's wife that we know about was Tipura the Midianite. When Moshe fled to Midian, when Para wanted to execute him, he met Yisro's seven daughters at the well. And he wound up marrying Tzipara. She was a Midianite. She was not a Kushite. Is there another woman involved that we, that we don't know about? What did they say? They said he spoke about the Isha Kushis. What did they say? They spoke about the Isha Kushis. What about the Isha Kushis? They made, they made a speech about we're Nevi'im also. What does that have to do with Moshe's, married, Moshe's marriage to a Kushis? What were they saying? What was Hashem's answer? Nevuah of Moshe is different from other Nevuah. What, what, what did they say? What was the... What, what was their objection? What did Hashem say? What, how did Hashem respond to them? A very, very mysterious, a very, very mysterious story. There are various approaches in the commentaries. Some understand, based on a controversial midrash, that Moshe did indeed have a Kushite wife. This is someone separate from Tzipara, someone different, distinct from Tzipara. In, in the Sefer, Divrei Yamim of Moshe, there's a somewhat dubious midrash. Some Rishonim dismissed it as being uh, fairy tales. Other Rishonim took it seriously. It recounts all kinds of adventures that Moshe Rabbeinu had. Moshe was away for a long time. He left Egypt as a young man. He returned to Egypt. Hashem sent him back after, at, the, at the episode of the burning bush when he was 80. It says Moshe was 80 when he appeared before Paro. Um, decades went by. So he, was he just a shepherd for all those years? So this midrash, the Divrei Yamim Shal Moshe, it has these uh, incredible adventures Moshe had as a, as a warrior. As a, he married a queen. He married a, a Kushite princess. He, he, he married some. He married some kind of addition before Tzipora. In addition, in, in, besides Tzipora, he married this other woman, and that was the the marriage they're referring to. What was their objection to that? What, what, what was wrong? What, if, if, if this is indeed another woman, a Kushis, what did what did Miriam and what did Miriam and, uh, and Aaron object to? Um, also, not so clear. The Rashbam learns this way. The Rashbam says he refers to the Sefer Divrei Yamim, not Divrei Yam of Tanakh, Divrei Yam Shal Moshe, which is a Midrashic work. That Moshe Rabbeinu he ruled over the land of Cush for forty years, 
and he married a certain queen. He was not actually intimate with her. He just married her, I guess, for maybe political reasons, but they didn't know he wasn't intimate with her. They had some objection. This is the Ikra Pshuto. They had some objection to this marriage, even if Tipora was not Jewish also. She came from Midian, but somehow the marriage, maybe because she came from Cham, and it was a, uh, as we find with Avram and Yitzchak, he didn't want his, his son to marry someone from Cham. Maybe that was the objection. So some learn it was actually an Ishakushis, it was actually a... It was actually a, a, a woman from Cush, someone separate, from, distinct from Tzipora. Ibn Ezra brings this shot as well, that Moshe ruled over the land of Cush and married a Cushite woman. Okay, but the, there, are, there are various pshatim in the Rishonim, but the best-known pshat is the pshat of Chazal in numerous different midrashim, in the, in the, in, in, in the Sifri, in the Tanchuma, the Yalkut Shimoni. This is the pshat brought by Rashi that the Isha Kushis actually refers to Tzipora. Why are we calling her a Kushis if, uh, if she was actually a Midianite? So the Midrash says, the Midrash says that, yes, we, we, call, we, we, call, her, we call her Kushis because the, the, the Gemara says this chat as well, the, the Gemara in Moed Katan says that it refers to, the, the Gemara in Moed Katan says it refers to Tzipora. Why does it call her a Kushis? So it says that, it says that the the the, the, the Gemara in White Cotton, the language is a little funny. It says, Her name wasn't Kushis, her name was Tipara. It's an odd question to ask. And nobody said her name was Kushis. We said we said she was a Kushis. She came from Kush. Other Midrashim asked the question directly. Why do we call her Kushis if she was actually a if she was actually a Midianite? In the in the Sifri it says, Kushis. Was she a Kushis? Why does it call her Kushis? So the Bavli and the Madrashim say the same thing. They say, why is she called a Kushis? It's, uh, Kushis is a metaphor. It's a, it's, a, it's a literary device. Ma Kushis Mishuna Baora. Just like a Kushis is unusual, is striking, at least from a Eurocentric perspective. Black African skin stands out. It's, uh, it's unusual. Aftipara Mishuna Bamaseha. She was extraordinary in her piety, in her good deeds. Gemara brings, the Midrashim brings several other examples in Tanakh where the term kush, kush, kushi, is used to refer to someone who is distinct, not by virtue of being dark or actually from kush, but by virtue of being striking and, uh, and unique. David, David in, in Tehillim refers to someone named Kush ben Yamini. Shaul HaMelech, the Gemara says. Shaul was, uh, Shaul, his name was not kush, his name was Shaul. Why do we call him kushi? Just like a kushi is Mishuna Baoro, so Shaul was Mishuna Baoro. Other psukim, the same idea. Klai Yisrael is called Bnei Kushiim, just as the kushi is Mishuna Baoro, his skin is distinct. Jews are distinct in their conduct from the, from the other nations. Okay, there are, there are other explanations of the, other explanations of kushi as well. The, the, the Midrash says that Kushi, that Rashi says, Kushis, Bigamatria, Yifas Mara, Yifas Mara. Kushis is Bigamatria, Yifas Mara, the, the, the Gematria 736. I didn't do the arithmetic, but they say it's Bigamatria 736. So it's a Bigamatria Yifas Mara. It's telling you that, it's telling you that, that Tipura was very beautiful. This is a point we've discussed in the past, why the Tanakh and the Midrashim may emphasize the physical beauty of women, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Esther. In some cases, it's relevant to the story, like Esther. 
other places it just mentions that they were very beautiful. Why is this important? Surely the surely these great Sidkanias married to great Sadikim, they, they, they were more important things, uh, more important aspects of the of, of, of who they were than their beauty. The Tanchum already brings this this thing, Isha Kushis Lakach, Kushis Bigamatria Yefas Mara. So Kushis either means that she was according to the according to the Midrash, that she was distinct in her in her conduct, in her piety, or it's Bigamatria Yefas Mara, she was beautiful. The Midrashim go on to say that the that kushis lakach. What does it mean that you, it, it, the Torah repeats itself? It says, it says that al odos ha'isha kushis ashalakach ki isha kushis lakach. That seems to be repetitive. So the Sifri says some women are physically beautiful, but their conduct is not so appealing. Some women are have have beautiful conduct, but are not physically so beautiful. Tipara was 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 good in both. She was uh, benoya and maseha. That's why he repeats Isha Kushis Lakach that she she was the Kushis, she was distinct, she was superlative, both in her physical appearance and in her conduct. So, okay, so the, according to the Chazal and a number of Madrashim, Mesafrit, Tanchuma, Yalkut, Prophet Rashi, they were speaking about Tzipara. The Kushis is Tzipara. What did they say? What was? What did they speak? What was wrong with Tzipara? And why now? Why? What? What? Whatever it was. What, why did this? Why did the issue come up now? So Chazal famously say in the Gemara and various Midrashim that Moshe was Piresh Min Ha'isha. Moshe had separated from Tzipora. He was no longer intimate with Tzipora. He, he had two children with her. At, at one point he was, but at this point he was no longer being intimate with her. How did Miriam know this? Surely you know, it, it wasn't like today where people blogged about it and posted their status on Twitter. <laughs> how, did, how did anybody know of the, the, de- the intimate details of Moshe's marriage? So the Sifri says, how do we know? So there are several pshatim and chazal. The Sifri says, she saw that Tzipora was not adorning herself, was not miskashetes, but nashim. Apparently married women, women who were interested in appealing to men and attracting, attract, being attracted to their husbands, used to make themselves up a certain way. Tzipora had let herself go, as they say. She was not doing this. Miriam asked her, why? Why aren't you doing this? Um, why aren't you doing this? Tzipora said, Your brother doesn't care. Meaning that he's not, uh, we're no longer, we no longer have that kind of relationship. Miriam understood what Tzipora was saying, that Moshe had, had ceased physical intimacy with Tzipora. Miriam told Aaron, and that's how the whole story started. The, there, there, are other, there are other explanations of how there are other explanations of how she knew. There is a, there is another version of the midrash that the Tanchuma says, Rabbi Nassim says, Miriam was with Tipora in the previous story in the parsha that Hashem told Moshe to gather seventy people. Moshe said he couldn't handle the Jewish people on his own. Moshe said that the Moshe said. That uh, I can't, I can't bear the burden of this nation. many that the burden is just too heavy for me. So Hashem told him, gather seventy men, Israel, elders of Israel, that that bring gather seventy men. I will make them Nevi'im, I will elevate them, and they will be your deputies. They will be your your leadership team. You won't have to do it all by yourself you'll have 70 men. So that's what Moshe did. Moshe gathered the 70 people. Among them were, among them were it says there were two people, the Machna, Eldad and Medad. 
the spirit of God rested on them. The, the story of Elder and Maiden. The Tanchuma says, Rabbi Nassim says, when, when, they, when, when it was reported to Moshe, Elder and Maiden, the Tzipara said, it's unfortunate, uh, their wives are now, uh, they, they have an unfortunate lot. I'm not sure why Tzipara's comments were relative to were relevant to Eldon and Maidan more than all the other, more than all the other uh, of the 70 people who had Nevoah. But when this, story, when this story that there were 70 people, Eldon and Maidan were elevated to Nevoah, Sipara said, I, I sympathize with them. I feel bad for them. They're, 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 for their wives, their wives are now in trouble. So, and, and Sipara heard that. So Sipara said that the, Tzipara, so Miriam heard that. So Miriam said, okay, that when Sipara said, Oilan Shasam Shalalu, that now that they have nevuah, so uh, they, they, they'll separate from their wives, like my husband separated from me. Miriam realized what was going on. Miriam told Miriam told Aaron, and that's how the story began. In the Tanhuma adds a adds a little bit of a twist to this to this midrash. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the Alkut Shimoni adds a little bit of a twist to the midrash. It says that the the, Tanchuma, the way the Alkut Shimoni tells the story, when when Hashem told Moshe Esfeli Shivamish. He says, when, when the, when the Zikanim were appointed, the, the Jews lit candles in, in celebration of the Samchulahem. Miriam saw the candle. She told Sipara. She asked Sipara, what, what, what are these candles doing? Sipara, I guess, knew the, knew the scoop from Moshe. So Sipara said, this is what's going on. There, there's been, uh, there's been a, an investment of new Nevi'im. There are 70 new Nevi'im that Hashem has uh, elevated to Nevuah. Miriam said, wow, that's wonderful. Ashrei and Nashim Shalelu. How happy their wives are! How fortunate their wives are! That uh, look at what they see. They see their husbands getting such a prestigious uh, position. No, actually, I am. Uh, I, I feel bad for their wives because now their 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 physical relationship, the physical intimacy with their with their husband, is at an end, and they're just going to be abandoned. Uh, Mir- Miriam said, "Really? How do you know that? Why why do you suspect that?" So Tzipora said, "I know it from your brother because uh, once he became uh, a navi." He doesn't, uh, he's not with me anymore. Miriam heard that. She told Aaron. So according to this version of the Midrash, the originally, originally some, Miriam thought, some people thought that this would be great for the wives. It would be a great honor for the wives. Tzipora said, no, actually, this is uh, not a good thing because they're going to separate from their wives. The Chazal explained that, they, they, that this was actually, a, that, that Miriam's argument was, Miriam, that's what Miriam and Aaron meant when they said, when, when they spoke about Moshe, they said, Harakak Moshe Hashem. Does Hashem speak only with Moshe? Hello, Gambanu Diber. He speaks with us also. Meaning that we don't separate from our wives. Nobody ever told us to separate from our wives. Why is Moshe doing this? Hashem explained, no, that you are not the same type of Navi as Moshe. Tzipara also misunderstood. Tzipara, Tzipara apparently made the same mistake. Tzipara said that all these Navim are now going to treat their wives the way Moshe treats me. She also didn't understand, apparently, that Moshe's Navuah was unique. Hashem explained to them, no, you're, you're all making a mistake. You think Moshe's Nevuah is in the same class as other Nevi'im. That's a category error. Lochein avdi Moshe, b'chol beisi nemanu, pal pad daverbo, v'marav lo b'chidos. Moshe's Nevuah is different. Moshe's Nevuah is unique. That's something that uh, you're, not on the same, you're not on the same level as he is. He has to separate. You do not. You, you stay with your spouses, Miriam and Aaron. You're right. Moshe's different. This, this idea that Moshe separated from his, from his wife is also mentioned in the, the Bavli elsewhere, Masech Shabbos, in the story of Matan Torah. It describes what happened at Matan Torah. So it says that there were three things that Moshe, three conclusions Moshe Rabbeinu came to on his own, and Hashem endorsed his conclusions, Hashem agreed to him. 
One of them is, it says that Pirish Menaisha, Moshe separated from his wife, that, that's what they were complaining about, Miriam and Aaron and this parasha. Why did he do that? How did Moshe know he should do that? He made a Kavachamer. It says in Matan Torah that the instructions to Klai Yisrael to prepare for Matan Torah were, be ready in three days, I'll take you Elisha, separate from your wives for three days. And that was just a one-time thing. They, they weren't going to be permanently elevated to Nevi'im. For one time, they had to separate for three days. Ani, Moshe said, Kol me. the Shekhinah speaks to me all the time, and I, I don't have a schedule, I don't have a set time of when it's going to be. Allah has come and I have to separate from my wife. And when Hashem said, Lechem Arlehem, Shuvu Lechem Lechem, and he told Moshe, and you stay with me, everyone else go back, means return to your wives, return to normal conjugal relations. You, Moshe, you stay with me, meaning not just stay on the mountain to receive more of the Torah, but you stay permanently with me. You are not going to go back to your wife. You are done. You are going to stay with me, and you're never going to go back to, you're never going to go back to your wife. Tosa says that, so then why does the Mar say Moshe did it on his own? If, if Hashem said, Hashem told him to. So Rabbeinu Tam says something truly fascinating. Rabbeinu Tam says that obviously it wasn't Hashem's commandment, Hashem's own initiative, because surely Miriam and Aaron wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have complained about that if it was Hashem's own commandment. Maybe they didn't know, but uh, Rabbeinu Tam says no. If it would have been a tzivoy of Hashem, they obviously would have known. He assumes they would have known. So that's why the Gemara says it was not Hashem's tzivoy originally. Originally it was Moshe's Kavachavar. Moshe on his own decided... He has to be parish Menaisha. Hashem was maskim al yado. Hashem endorsed it. Hashem agreed when he said that v'atapamodimadi. But it was in Moshe's initiative. So still, but if, if Hashem agreed, why would why were Aaron why were Aaron and Miriam upset? Says Rabbi Tam, something truly fascinating. They were upset at Moshe because had he not done so on his own, Hashem wouldn't have been maskim. Hashem endorsed it after the fact. Moshe decided that was the path he, that he was going to take. Hashem said, "Okay, I endorse it." But it, would, but it might have gone differently. Had Moshe not made that decision, Hashem might not have told him to do that. Hashem was just working with Moshe, with what Moshe decided to do, the path Moshe chose, that was the path that Hashem endorsed. But ultimately, it was his decision, and that's why Aaron and Miriam were upset. They say, who asked you to do this? Why did you do this? Yes, Hashem agreed with you after the fact. But who asked you to do this? We're also Nevi'im. The, the Tosis goes on, and he says that the... So that, that, that's what Rabbeinu Tam says. That, that even though even though they knew even though they, they knew Hashem agreed, but they said he only agreed because you decided to do it. Ultimately, it's your responsibility. Don't don't blame it on Akash Baruch Hu, Your choice, and that's why we're upset at you. Then Tosa says, but 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 the midrash implies, like we read before, that they, that they only found out about this later at the story of Eldad and Medad. Rabbeinu Tam is assuming they knew this whole thing right away, and then that, that, that all this was known right away. But the midrash, but the the Psukim imply that until the until the end of Parshas Baloscha. Nobody knew that Moshe was Pirish Menaisha until Miriam, until Tipara left the cat out of the bag by saying, uh, by saying either by not adorning herself or by, or by reacting uh, negatively to the, or by having sympathy for the wives of the Nevi'im and Eldon and Medad. That it, that the Midrash says it was, only, it was only through that story this became known. So, didn't they know the Pasuk? That's what the Pasuk said. Didn't they know that? So Rabbeinu Tam says. So, so again. So, so before we brought Shad of Rabbeinu Tam, maybe they knew that, but the but but they understood it was only because of Moshe's original initiative. But the but but again, the question here is now. But here it sounds like they knew it originally because they, they didn't just find out from Sipara. They knew it from uh, from Arsinai. So Rabbeinu Tam says they knew it all along. 
But originally they thought, so again, we're in time working with the Zon Mahalik, because originally they thought it was not Moshe's initiative. Originally they knew the, they knew the Pasuk, Vatab Pamodi Madi, they took it at face value. Moshe did not decide to do this, and Hashem told him to do it. Then they have no complaints. But now that Tipara said that, Tipara told them that he was perished for me, apparently Tipara implied it was his own decision as well. I don't know how Tipara knew, but Tipara apparently understood that Moshe had reached this conclusion before Hashem said, Vatab Pamodi Madi. And Tipara somehow included that in her story to Miriam. And that's why they got upset. Uh, up to they thought it was Hashem's decision. Moshe, it was your choice. It's not, it's not Hashem's decision. It's your choice. Now, now we're upset. That's what Rabbi Tam suggests. I'll call upon him. This is the Pshat of Chazal in a number of different Midrashim, in the, in the Sifri, the Tanchuma, the Bavli in a couple of places. Why did they think that? Why were they upset? So, Kipshuto, you could learn they were upset because they thought it wasn't necessary. They thought Moshe was being too from. Moshe was being uh, too pious on Tzipara's Cheshbon. There's, there's another approach. The, in the Avast Rabbi Nassim also has a version of this Midrash. Avast Rabbi Nassim says something even darker, something even more, uh, more uh, provocative. Avast Rabbi Nassim says the reason they were upset at Moshe was because they, they suspected that Moshe was not doing it for pious reasons. Well, the, the, the way the way Avastor Binassin says it is they said that they, they accused him of having gossip. They accused him of, of arrogance, that, uh, that we, don't, we don't do this. They didn't understand that he was different. So it wasn't just that they, that they were upset that he was being too from on Tiparas Cheshbon, something we'll discuss soon. They thought that he had a, uh, he, it was, it was, he was acting out of arrogance, that he was, that he was daito gasel of, that's why he did it. He said, it was, they were misopic, they weren't sure. Is it because Daiton Gas or is it just, uh, a, a, just a level of piety? They suspected him of Gassus. Ibn Ezra says something really, really more striking than what I, had, what I meant before, something darker. Ibn Ezra worked with this Pshad of Chazal as well. And he says that, uh, first of all, why was he part of called Kushis? So, so he doesn't go with the Madrashic Pshad, that it means she was distinct and unusual. He says that Tzipara was from Midian. The Midianites were nomadic. They, they, they were out in tents. There is Ishmael, who lives in, uh, who live in tents. Uh, and he says that since they're out of the sun, I guess a tent provides some shelter, but it's not the same as uh, a brick and wood building. So the sun beats down on them. They spend their time under the sun. So they, they, they become very dark. So Tzipara was very dark, and she looked like a Kushite. Kushites are were, were black, as, as understood by, 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 as we've discussed previously. Kushites were very dark, and the Midianites have very dark skin as well because they're out of the sun, and they're like a kushis. It's, uh, it's, a way, it's a way of saying very dark skin. Okay. And Ibn Ezra then runs with that. He says that kushis is actually very relevant. Uh, according to Chazal's pshat, it's unclear what the ter- why the Torah is telling you she was a kushis. If the issue was that Moshe was pirish from her, not so clear why her extraordinary beauty or her, uh, or her being uh, distinct in her maizim is relevant. Ibn Ezra says just the opposite. Ibn Ezra, unlike Chazal, who say that she was extraordinarily beautiful, Yifas Mara, they, Ibn Ezra says just the opposite. He says that they suspected, they suspected Moshe of having been parished from her because she was not attractive. They thought that Moshe was being, uh, being selfish and was spurning her company because he found her unappealing. That's why they were upset. They said, Moshe, you can't do this. You're, you're, you're doing this. Uh, they, they, they didn't know. They didn't realize it was piety. They thought he was doing it because he just didn't find her appealing. That, they felt, was not right. He's her husband, and, and, and he shouldn't be doing that. And they were upset that he was neglecting her because they, because they thought he found her unattractive. Again, Moshe Rabbeinu, it's uh, a little disturbing that that would be the, what they thought. But okay, that's what Ibn Ezra says. I'll call upon him, we have this whole family of Midrashim. We have, we have this whole family of Midrashim, and Rashi works with this pshat. 
that the that that what what, the, what they spoke the lashon hara of Miriam was that they they referred to Moshe as having separated, having uh, ceased being intimate with his wife. They thought that was not appropriate. They thought that it, maybe he was being haughty. They thought it was not right, and it was not. And, and they were upset that Moshe was doing this, and and they criticized him. And Hashem said, "No, Moshe is actually right in doing what he's doing." And you're saying, well, we don't do that. We were never told to do that. The answer is because you are not the same type of Navi as Moshe. So for the remainder of our share tonight, I want to discuss the question of, in general, what is the halacha? If a husband acting out of piety, out of chumrah, out of chasidus, wants to adopt a course of action that will reduce the, the level of intimacy he previously had with his wife, the frequency of the intimacy, if he wants to adopt various chumras to various midas chasidus, various types of, uh, based on spiritual and, and um, pietistic reasons, he wants to do something that will reduce the intimacy he has with his wife. Is he allowed to do that? Sorry? He starts getting nevuah. starts getting nevuah, that's an extreme case, but in, even in more uh, down-to-earth cases, is a person allowed to do this? Is a person allowed, if his wife agrees, then fine. But uh, if his wife does not agree, is he allowed to unilaterally take action that will impact his wife, that will reduce the, the intimacy that she previously had? Is that something that is appropriate? In the case of Moshe, it sounds like Tzipara wasn't so happy with it. Tzipara even, uh, according to some version of the Midrash, she just mentioned it. I'm not, I'm not putting on makeup because I, I don't have that kind of relationship with Moshe. But according to the Midrash of, uh, of Elder and uh, the Midrash of Elder and Medad, she said, that it's, it's a terrible predicament they're going to be in now. They're going to be akaros, they're going to be abandoned, as, as just, uh, just, just cast off from their husbands. It sounds like she was not happy with her lot. Whether she agreed to Moshe and just regretted it, whether she never was asked, whether she, whether she protested and Moshe overrode her, I don't know, we're not told us. But all these questions, what's Allah in general if a person wants to do something acting out of frumkite, out of some kind of chasidus, is that appropriate to do it at his wife's expense? So, there, there are a number of, this, this is not discussed extensively in our, in our Masara, but there are a number of interesting comments, a number of interesting halachic and other type of discussions at this point. In, we do have a number of such discussions in our Masara. One of them is a very interesting passage of Rav Yonason Eipschitz in his Yaris Dvash. Yaris Dvash, Rav Yonason Eipschitz was a prolif- prolific writer. Much of his writing is halachic. Yaris, Yaris Dvash is actually drush, but he says something here which is, which is at least sort of halachic. The Pischetshuva, the, the halachic compendium on Yerdea brings this. On Evan Ezra brings this. He says something quite interesting. The, the framework of this whole discussion is that when Chazal discussed intimacy between a husband and wife, it, Chazal discussed it in a very legal, in a, using a very legal framework. The, the halacha is a, a man has various conjugal duties to his wife. He has to provide her with food, with clothing. One of the obligations he has is to be intimate with her, to provide her with intimacy. It, the Pasuk says in Parsh Mishpatim, She'era, Ksusa, Ve'onasa, Lo Yigra, according to some, according to some, of, some of Chazal, Onasa refers to his, uh, his conjugal duties as a husband. According to others, it's not referring to that, but according to Rambam Paskins, that if a, husband, if a husband withholds intimacy from his wife, then he, Kedel Tzara, in order to, uh, to hurt her, in order to make her suffer, he violates a lav daraisa. It's a, that, that's a lav daraisa for him to do that. I just want to be clear. Um, I, I, th- throughout the rest of the share, and previously, I have been using euphemisms, intimacy, and conjugal duties, and so on. 
we are referring here, certainly in, the, in this latter half of the share, to sexual intercourse that a husband is obligated in toward his wife. I don't find the phrase particularly comfortable to say, so I'm going to be using euphemisms like intimacy, but it should be understood that that is, that is essentially what we're referring to here. So, the, so there, is a, there is a chiv of ona. It's discussed extensively in the Gemara, the Poskim, and the Shulchan Aruch. It's, it's a lavdarais, according to some opinions, at least, that to, to withhold it. Lutzara, we'll discuss that, that phrasing later. And not only that, but Chazal quantify, just like, they, just like they quantify how much food he has to give her and what type of clothing he has to give her, barley and this and that. So Chazal quantify how much ona he has to provide her, how much intimacy he has to provide her, meaning on what schedule, how often, how many times a week, how many times a month. And Chazal have a whole table of frequencies depending on what the person's profession is, camel driver, donkey driver, laborer who works locally, Sailor who go who travels long distance makes long distance trips on ships, basically according to the strenuousness of the work and according to how often he's home, that that, that determines how the, the frequency with which he's obligated to be intimate with his wife. The Mishnah says in Ksuvos, it says that Mishnah says Talmidim, uh, that's something else. Sorry, Poelim, laborers, lab, laborers. Uh, I'm sorry, Onamur Batara, Tayalin, Tayalin are people who are have men of leisure who have, rel- who, have, who have free time and are not overly, are not exhausted once a day, every day, people who are working and are therefore you know, expand their strength twice a week, donkey drivers once, once a week, camel drivers once every 30 days, sailors once every, once every six months. So the, there's a schedule. So Rebionis and Ipshis discusses what happens, so Rehonis Hapshus discusses the, the, following, the following Gemara. He, he brings a Gemara, in, he's going on a Gemara in Brachas. The Gemara says there was a famous long, long-running controversy between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua. They had various arguments, and Rabbi Gamliel was, uh, came down very hard on Rabbi Yeshua. One of them was about the Kiddush HaChodesh, of Rosh Hashanah, where he, he demanded that he appear before him in his on Yom Kippur, the day, there was Machlokas, what day, what day Rosh Hashanah was, what day Yom Kippur was, and Rabbi Gamliel to, demanded that he, sh- that he make a submission, to his, to submit to his authority by coming before him on the day he considered Yom Kippur with his walking stick and his, and his pouch, his money pouch. So they, they had several of these arguments, and finally the, the controversy exploded. The, Rabbi Gamliel was consi- widely considered to have been basically abusive toward Rabbi Yeshua, so they deposed Rabbi Gamliel. They removed him from his position as head of the yeshiva. They had to appoint a replacement. So they considered various candidates, the Gemara and Bracha says, and eventually they settled on Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. They asked Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah to head the yeshiva. What was his response? Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They said, You want to be the head of the yeshiva? I have to consult my wife. Rabbi Yonason says, Really? He was just offered the... I mean, I, I want to say dream job. This is a lot more than a job. This is a, this is a, a position of great importance for, for the yeshiva, for Klal Yisrael, for his own ruchnius, perhaps. He has to ask his wife. I mean, I would have said, yes, a person should always ask his wife. Like, why not? Why wouldn't you ask your wife? But Rabbi Yonason Abshad says, Derek Drush, he admits this is Derek Drush. He says, why did he have to ask his wife? So he says that the, the own of a Talmud Chacham, we said, is once a week. It's less than certain types of workers, but it is at least once a week. He says in Avastra Binasran, it says that the owner of the Rosh Yeshiva, who heads the Yeshiva, is once a month. 
This Avos Rebbe apparently does not exist in our text of Avos Rebbe Various commentaries have said that they have not found such a thing, either in Avos Rebbe or anywhere else. Rebbe and Ipschitz had this, had this version of Avos Rebbe that said Rosh Hashiva is only once a month. So he says, by accepting the appointment to be Rosh Hashiva, he would be reducing his wife's owner fourfold, from once a week to once a month. You can't do that, he says. He, the, the Gemara says, if, if, a, if a chamra wants to become a gamal, which will switch the owner from, for, switch the owner from once a week, from, uh, once a week to, to, once a, to once a month, you can't do that. That's, that's exactly the same, uh, that is the same frequency. Chamarim is achas b'shabas, gamalim is once in 30 days. Tamachachim also is, is, is once in, Tamachachim also is once in, uh, is me'er of Shabbos, le'er of Shabbos. And Tamachachim as well is once a week. And the, the switch to being a Gamal, he shouldn't be allowed to do. So to switch to being Rosh Hashiva, it's, it's different from a Gamal, but it, is, but, it is the, but, it, but it is the same principle. But it is the same principle. So the, says Rebbe Yonason that's why he had to ask his wife, because he'd be reducing her owna, so even though he was accepting uh, a position that was maybe of great importance for Klai Yisrael or for him personally, nevertheless, he, couldn't, he would not do it. He could not do it without first consulting his wife and securing her, her permission. His wife actually had some issues with the position. She didn't say because of Ona, but she said, but she, said, uh, she, said she, she, she was concerned that they might fire him as well if, 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 they, if, they, if they don't have loyalty to the office holder, maybe they'll fire you as well. He responded, okay, but it's better to have the chance even briefly than not to have the chance at all. Anyway, that, that's, the, that's what Rav Yonatan Ayyad says. The Chassam Sofer has the most famous and most uh, intricate discussion of this topic. The Chassam Sofer, this, this comment of, of the Aras Vash is brought by the Pesach Tshuva on Ebenezer, on the Simon of Ona. The Chassam Sofer has a long Tshuva, which is brought, at least part of it is brought by the Pesach Tshuva in two places, in Ebenezer, Simon Ayin Vav, in the Simon of Ona, of conjugal duties of a husband, as well as in Hilchas Nida. The Chassam Sofer had the following case. The, he says, well, married couple, woman keeps Taras and Mishpacha, the woman does bedikas, she uses a cloth to, 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 to check the, that part of the body to see if, if, if it's clean. It's, she checks at certain times uh, before the tefillah, and she checks on vestas and so on. And so, so in certain scenarios, the woman is supposed to check, you make a physical examination to see if there is any blood. If she's clean, then, she, then, then she's Tara, then she can go to the mikvah and so on. So occasionally the, something comes up, some, some kind of discoloration of the cloth occurs, and then you have to show it to a chacham to decide whether it's uh, Tmeya or Tahor. So the chacham Sofer was asked, let's say, we still do this today, so let's say a woman has a shayla, and they show it to the Rav, and the Rav says, Tahor. So what do you do? So you're Tahor. Says the chacham Sofer, there's a Gemara in Chulim. The Gemara says that... There's something called Basra Shara Bachacham. The Gemara says that Basra Shara Bachacham, meat that was paskin by a meat that was paskin by a Chacham. It says, I believe, about Yecheskel Hanavi. It says that, that Yecheskel prided himself on his meticulousness in religious observance. Yecheskel Hanavi said that Hine Nafshi Lo Metama, my, my soul has not been defiled. I have not eaten Nevela and Trefa, from my youth until today, and I didn't eat Besar uh, Pigel. I didn't eat uh, problematic meat. So what do these things refer to? He didn't eat Nevelas. I mean, I, I, also, I also try not to eat Nevelas. So what exactly did he mean? What, what was the unique 
piety that he was uh, proud of himself for adopting. The Gemara says, That I, I, didn't, I didn't eat uh, from Behema Shehara Bachacham, even if the Chacham said it was mutter. If the Chacham said it's Asr, of course you don't eat it. But even if the Chacham said it's fine, I had a Shaila, I showed it to the Chacham, the Chacham said it's fine, I don't eat it. Ramah passes this way in Yeridea, Behema Shehara Bachacham, Misvarav, Lamintzah Din Mafur, Beferish. Again, if it's Mafur Shalach, if he just looks it up and tells you this is an explicit sif in Shulchan Arach, that's not Basra Shar Bachacham. There's no, there's no mitzvah to second guess the Shulchan Arach. But if it's not Mafurish, if it requires judgment, if it requires Svara, uh, um, it's not Mafurish, Bal Nefesh So there is, a, there, there is a mode of pious conduct to avoid eating such meat. So the Chasim Salafer discusses does this apply to Nida? Let's say a person, let's say a person says, "Look, my wife had a shayla. I showed it to the chacham. The chacham said it's fine. Okay, the chacham paskin. It's basha shara b'chacham. I would rather not. I would rather not be making on this, even though the chacham said it's mutter. Just like there's a mila not to eat meat that there was a shayla about, even if the chacham said it's mutter. So I would rather not eat. I would rather not uh, rely on a heter or nida either. If the chacham had to paskin, it's not mafurish. The chacham had to exercise judgment. I would rather not. Maybe it's good not to rely on that either. The problem is the wife says no." That, uh, that it's mutter. The Chacham said it's mutter. I don't want this Chumrah. I, I would rather be with my husband and not have this Chumrah. So that's your mitzvah. I, I, don't, I don't care about this. You want to be machmer, machmer on your own account. But, but if it involves depriving me of the intimacy to which I'm entitled, who said this is the right thing to do? That's the Shiloh of the Chasim Sofer. So the Chasim Sofer has a long, intricate analysis of the, of the sugi of the Gemara of Ona and Ksuvas. We're not going to get into the details of his analysis, but his conclusion is, Peskachua brings his conclusion, that even though it's true that the Chasim Sofer says the basic rule is that if they got married under the, the Gemara, that we mentioned before, the Gemara says if a person is a Chamar, and wants to become a Gamal, when he was married he was a Chamar, he wants to switch to being a Gamal, he can't do that. Why? Chasim Sofer explains, when they got married, she knew his profession was chamer, so she went into the marriage with an expectation of the frequency of intimacy of a chamer. So when they married, she was, she was implicitly being promised that, that frequency of intimacy. So she's entitled to that. You can't switch unilaterally. It's a contract. You can't switch without her permission. So says the Chasim Sofer, that's true based on whatever assumption was there at the time of the marriage. Certainly, if the Chacham was already machmer on these types of chumras when they got married, of course, of course she can't object. She knew what she was getting into, and she accepted it. But even if this was not discussed at the time of the marriage, and even if at that time he was not on this madregia, at that time he was not enough of a bal nefesh to be machmer and bas v'sharah he says it doesn't matter, because since that is what prushim do, that, that is the, the derech of, uh, the, the, there is such a, an officially recognized madrega of Hasidus, even if he wasn't there yet at the time of his marriage, he just behaved like ordinary Tamilcham who don't have this Chumrah. But she can't say, I never accepted this. I never accepted that you would become a Chassid and deprive me of intimacy because of this Chumrah. We, rather, we say, no. We say, since she married a Bachar who's studying Torah, it's Ragil Huzesh, Asid Leah is Parash V'Chassid. This is often quoted in inspirational talks that you see the Chassim Sefer says that the expected path is growth, that when a person is a Tamilcham at the time of his marriage, the expectation is that he will not remain stationary, that he will that he will grow in his, uh, in his level of titkus and Yerushalayim. Zikni to Mechavim calls man Shemazkinin, their Chachma increases. And therefore he says, she can't say that, 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 I, that I, was, I was guaranteed, I was implicitly guaranteed this level of Ona without these Chumras. Because on the contrary, 
since you married a Talmud Chacham, we could, you, you, expect that you, you expect or you, you should expect growth. And therefore, on the contrary, the, you, you went in with the assumption knowing that, that he may reach that level. And that at that point, you would have to forego some of your own. Some of your, some of your own. The Chacham Sofer actually brings a raya from the Midrash on, on, on our Parsha. He says, what happened to, uh, to, in, in the story of Elder and Maidan? Initially, Miriam said, that happy are the wives, are the fortunate are the, are the wives of these men. And then Tzipara said, no, I, I feel bad for them because my husband was purged from me, and, and, and she thought their husbands would be purged from them as well. Says the Chasim Sofer, even before Tzipara knew, even before Miriam knew, before Tzipara revealed that Moshe had been purged from her, from her. Surely, if someone is, Chasim Sofer assumes, if someone is elevated to Nevoah, Surely he will have, he, he, he will increase his chasidus and prisha. Surely there'll be less intimacy. I don't know how he knows that, but that's what he assumes. He says, he thinks it's pushed. He says that the, he says, believe Suffolk, without a doubt, that the Navi is parish Yosemishari Chachamim. Someone who becomes a Navi certainly is going to be less involved in physical intimacy than an ordinary Talmud Chacham. And still, Miriam said, uh, it's worth it. Ashrein uh, Nishasem, even though they're giving up some intimacy, but they're becoming the wives of Nevi'im. When Tzipara said, that was because she thought they would lose all their connection to their husband. That the woman can't tolerate. That's why she said, because to give up all intimacy, that's something which is insupportable. But the, to give up to re- reduced intimacy in exchange for an increased spiritual madrega, that's Ashrei Nishasem Shalelu. Again, not all the Midrashim have this language of Ashrei. I saw one contemporary writer object that, that in the Safri and the Tanchuma doesn't say Ashrei. It just says right away that that Tzipara said Eilu Nishasem, but as we said, the Alkut had the Alkut has the text of uh, that originally that originally people said Ashrei Nishasem Shalelu, and Tosus had this text as well in the Gemara in in the Gemara in Shabbos. Tosus brings this text as well that the Tosus says that Tosus says that the that. Tosus says that the, I'm sorry, not Tosus, that the, uh, the Tipara said, but, uh, so, so again, Tipara did say, Tipara did say, but according to the Yalkut, initially, initially there was, uh, initially there was an ashray. Initially there was, uh, initially the, initially they, they, they said ashray. So the Chachamim says, you see that that a woman would accept a a woman would accept a a decrease in intimacy in exchange for a husband who's on a higher level of ruchnius. And Tzipora's only objection was because Moshe, because because she thought they were being cut off entirely. This this ruling of the Chassam Sofer is Pesachuva brings it without comment. And as I said, I'm not aware of a lot of discussion in the postgame of this. But one one major thinker who disagrees with the Chassam Sofer. Is Rav Cook. Rav Avram Yitzchak Cohen Cook has a tshuva where he, where he addresses this chasm sofer. He says that the person allowed to adopt chumras if, uh, if it'll result, if it'll deprive his wife of, uh, of some amount of intimacy, is he allowed to do that? So he says, so he, he points out that the language of the Rambam is that, that, that the lavda raisa of, of Onasal Igra, the lavda raisa of depriving a wife of conjugal intimacy, that's only, the Rambam says that if someone does that, litzara, in order to hurt her and to pain her. The Rambam uses the word litzara about five times in different contexts of moreid and moredas. Four or five times the Rambam says 
I think five times, Ram uses the word litzara. That these halachas of uh, a person is in violation if he does it litzara, to inflict pain upon her. So Rav Cook assumes that the lav daraisa only applies if he's doing it maliciously in order to inflict pain. It's, it's actually a major machlokas akronim. It goes back to much earlier akronim from 500 years ago. Is, it was a major machlokas whether the Rambam, whether the Rambam, whether this, the Rambam should be interpreted dafka that the lav is only litzara or not. Rav Cook assumes, based on the simple reading of the Rambam, that the lav daraisa is only if it is litzara. Now, again, lav daraisa, but there's no question that even if it's not litzara, it's still oster. He still has a chiyavtur. Midrabanan is still oster. So, says Rav Kook, but if it's Drabanan, we apply the rule Suffolk Drabanan Lakula. If, when in doubt, you can be lenient. So if he didn't ask her, if he doesn't ask her if she's okay with it, he just unilaterally reduces intimacy and she doesn't comment on it, he's allowed to assume that she's okay with it. Because it, if it's, I don't know why he can't just ask her. I don't know why he has to, usually we don't like to rely on Suffolk Drabanan if you can just ask and find out. Says Rav Kook that if he... Uh, that it, once, it's all, once he's not doing it to mitzahar her, he's doing it for spiritual reasons, it's only an issue of a drabanan at worst, and therefore, if he doesn't ask her, he can, he can assume, misafik, he can assume that she, is, that she is accepting of his conduct. However, however, he says, the, if we know that she's, that she's upset, if we know that she's not happy with it, then he says it's difficult to allow being machmer a chumrah, which results in a kula, to be machmer the chumrah of balnefesh, of not eating basr shar b'chacham, at, at the expense of his wife's subjection, that he thinks is wrong, because it might not be daraisa, but it is drabanan, he says, and what, what gives you the right to, to violate b'adam l'chavero a din drabanan in order to do a chumrah? It's, and it's a question of shalom bias. We find that for, for the purpose of preserving shalom, as we discussed uh, last couple of weeks, we, just, we, we discussed that for the purpose of Shalom, Chazal allowed uh, various things. They allowed lying. They allowed even kulos on Isr They even allowed you to eat paspalter. Even someone who's machmer are not eating paspalter, uh, passive non-Jews. They allowed it for, for, the, case of, for the sake of preserving Shalom. Uh, so the Sarah of Cook fails that the Chamsofer is not correct. In a case where, where his wife has a, a legitimate objection, where his wife has a definite objection, he, 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 it's not right for him to do it based on based on a Chumrah. What about Moshe Rabbeinu? We don't know if Tzipora actually objected. Tzipora was uh, apparently not so happy, according to some of the Midrashim, but uh, maybe, she never, maybe she didn't really object, maybe, maybe she just felt bad about it, but she, she accepted it was the right thing to do. Maybe Moshe wasn't just a Chumrah, so not sure how he understands Tzipora, but for ordinary people, if they want to adopt Chumras, he says, they should, they should not do it at the expense of the at the expense of their wives, if the wives are machbid, he says that uh, we know that a, 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 bi- a big portion of our hilchos nida is based on a gemara nida that says v'nos yisrael achmiru alatzman. The way we practice nida today involves a tremendous chumrah, which the women in the time of Chazal, the simple reading of the gemara is that it was a chumrah that was that was uh, that, that, that was invented by women. Chazal eventually endorsed it, and that became a din drabanan, but originally started as the gemara seems to say it started as a chumrah of women. Do the women have the right to impose it on their husbands? It doesn't say the husbands uh, promoted this chumrah. It says, Rav Kook, it doesn't mean that the husbands disagreed. It means that the women imposed it unilaterally. It means that the women were seized by this religious impulse. They were moved to be more machmer. And the husbands went along with it. But the women get credit for it because it was their inspiration, that they brought their husbands along. But for them to unilaterally impose the chumrah on their wives, maybe they would have no right to do that. So Rav Kook is not happy with the Chassam Sofer. He says that the, he doesn't really agree with the Chassam Sofer. He says, Minastam, if she doesn't object, 
you can assume that, she's, that, that she doesn't mind, but if you know she objects, he doesn't think it's right, if it's only a chumrah, he says, if it's only a chumrah, it's not right to be machmer for that pure chumrah for balnefesh at the expense of your wife's rights. He does say, or if Cook does say, if there's, if there's a legitimate suffix, he says, he says, if, 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 you're, if, if there's really a shiloh, whether it's mutter or not, then he says that, uh, then he says that the... That, then you could be machmer, he says. If, 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 even if there's basis to be mekel, if you want to be choshesh for an opinion that it's asr, there might really, there's really a chance that it's asr, then you can be machmer, he says. But if there's no chumrah and there's just this midas chasidus, the basr of not relying on a lenient ruling, that, he says, you should not be machmer if you know, if you know with certainty that your wife objects. One, one final tshuva on this topic is by Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein also disagrees with the chasim sofer, not because of his wife's rights, though. Ramosha argues that even without the wife's perspective, it, it doesn't make any sense to be machmer when a chacham is mekel. Why? I, we find that when it comes to treifus, it's a, the halacha is that, it, that it's appropriate to be machmer when the rav is mekel. Says, says Ramosha as follows. Ramosha says, there's no mitzvah to second-guess the rav. If the rav says mutter, there's no mitzvah to say, maybe the rav is wrong, maybe the rav is, uh, is, is, is not getting the halacha correct. There's no mitzvah to second-guess the rav. The issue of trefus is, he says, what does it mean you have a shayla of trefus? It means you have a reis of there's something wrong. If the animal looks like every other animal, then you don't have a shayla. Whenever you have a shayla, that means something is unusual. Something is wrong about this animal. Not every wrong thing is a trefus. Some wrong things are mutter. But there's something wrong about the animal. That's called a reis something wrong. Not every reis is a trefa, but every reis is a reis. As proof of this, Ramosha says, there's a doctrine in trefus called tartila reis when you have two separate reyesas, even if neither one is trefa, when you have two of them together, that automatically triggers a status of trefa. So there are all kinds of elaborate rules about when, when we apply that doctrine, but there is a rule that tartila reyesa becomes trefa. Why? If, if a reyesa is nothing, if this reyesa is not trefa, who cares how many you have? Says Ramosha, no. A reyesa is something wrong. It doesn't rise, it doesn't cross the threshold of trefa, but it's a problem. It's, it's on the way to trefa. It's not black and white. It's, it's 50% trefa. It's 75% trefa. Therefore, two reyesas is a problem. Says Ramosha, that's why Basashar Bachacham is Asr. Because Basashar Bachacham, he says, it's not because he thought the Chacham was wrong, but it's because the, there is a reyesa, not every reyesa is kosher, but the, not every reyesa is treif. But since there is a reyesa, he avoided eating it, because it's like a 50% treif. Masha Enkin, when it comes to Nida, he says, she's not 50% Tmeya. A Chacham doesn't pass in Mutter, Ramosha says, if there's any suffolk at all, if there's any, if there's any gray hair, gray in the figurative sense, the Chacham is not going to pass in mutter. In the time of Chazal, maybe that would be different, because certain types of reds were okay, and certain types of reds weren't okay. It required great Chachma to distinguish between the types of reds, but we don't do that. The Gemara says even certain Chacham in the Gemara didn't, didn't want to rely on their own, uh, their own perceptions of red, and certainly today we don't do that. Today the rule is very simple in theory. Anything that has any element of red, any aspect of red is Asr, no aspect of red is mutter. Says Ramosha, a chacham is, would, not, would not be matir if there was any suffolk at all. If the chacham is matir, that means it's black and white, figuratively. That means it's absolutely mutter. What's the reason? There's no race, so what's the reason to be machmer? Unless you think the chacham is making a mistake. There's no mitzvah to think the chacham is making a mistake, says Ramosha. So according to Ramosha, even without the question of being machmer in your wife's cheshben, the whole idea of the chacham sofer, of applying basashar b'chacham to nida, the whole thing is a category error. I, I was always completely baffled by this Ramosha. Anyone who has, I don't know how Ramosha Paskin needs them, but anyone who has dealt with neither questions in the, in the real world, I think will rapidly see 
that no, not everything is black and white. Many Chachamim will say, I'm not sure, I want a second opinion, I'll be matter b'shas atchak, I'll, uh, you know, poskim sometimes will be matter b'makam piri v'rivya, or b'makam shalom bayis, some poskim have, uh, explicitly have an attitude that today, because of difficulties in shalom bayis, and the Yetzir Hara, and the temptations we have, available to us, uh, that we, we have to be as lenient as we can. It's not black and white. There are many cases where it's figuratively gray, where, 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 where it's not a simple black and white, black and white issue, and the Chacham is Mekel for all these considerations. So I don't know how Ramosha can just claim that any time a Chacham is Mekel, that means it's absolutely mutter, even in the Chuvas farm. The post can more often Mekel when with and so on. So I don't know what Ramosha means, that there's no, no sad suffix at all. That's where Moshe claims, that the only time it makes sense to be machmer for Basashar Bachacham is when there's a reisa, when there's some element of suffolk, even if, or, or some element of suffolk, even if we're mekel, there's room to be machmer at Basashar Bachacham, but, but in a case where there's no suffolk at all, just to say maybe the Rav is wrong, that's not a mitzvah. I'll call upon him, but, but the core question, the key question of whether it's right to be machmer against your wife's cheshben, so the Rionson Eibshit says that, that he had to ask his wife before before accepting the position of Rosh Hashiva, because that's a mayat her intimacy. The truth is, the Gemara itself says, that's what the Chamsarfer's Jew is all about, that if there are persons, not the Gemara, the, the Gemara says that a Chamar can't become a Gamal. A donkey driver can't become a camel driver. But the Rishonim are Medayik, but, 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 but someone could become a Talmud Chacham, a, a tile could become a Talmud Chacham, even though that will reduce his owner, because to become a Talmud Chacham, that everyone has the right to do. And that's the basis of the Chamsarfer Shita, that to become... To, to, to switch to a, to a pasture of less ona due to ruchnius, that's okay. Rabbi Yonatan Eibshit says, though, not when it comes to uh, not when it comes to a Talmud Chacham becoming a Rosh Hashiva, maybe since you're already a Talmud Chacham, the marginal benefit of going from Talmud Chacham to Rosh Hashiva is not the same thing as, go, as going from Amar to Talmud Chacham. I'll call upon Rabbi Yonatan Eibshit says that to, be, that to go from Talmud Chacham to Rosh Hashiva, which reduces the ona, even though we don't have that in our Rav Strabinasim, but he claims it reduces the ona Needs permission of your wife. The Chasim Sofer says that in general, you don't need permission of your wife to, to, to adopt a new level of Ruchnius because, again, Chasim Sofer is talking about someone who was already a Talmud Chacham, but he wasn't so medactic. If the person was not Ma'aretz when he got married, didn't have any Chumras or any particular path of spiritual elevation, maybe that would be different. But at least someone who was a Talmud Chacham and wants to grow in his, uh, in his spirituality, in, in his, uh, his, his Chasidus, has the right to do that unilaterally against his wife. Ramosha argues that when it comes to Nida, the whole thing of Basr Shabbat Chacham doesn't apply. And Rav Kook says, kind of in between, Rav Kook says that, that it, it, it makes sense to be Machmer, even though it's only Midas Chasidus, if you don't know if your wife minds, because we can assume that uh, if you don't know, you have the right to assume that she is, that she consents to what you want to do. I don't know why you don't just ask her, but you can assume she consents, he says. However, if you know that she's Machmed, and you're, then again, if you're doing it because you have a genuine doubt, that you're not 100% sure it's Mutter, that you can do. But if you're only doing it because of Midas Chasidus, you should not do that against, if, if you're certain your wife objects, you sh- you should, if it's clear that your wife objects, you should not do that. It's not worth it. It's not fair, he says. It, uh, shalom is very important. You should not, you should not uh, strive for, a, for, a, for something which is pure Midas Chasidus against your, against your wife's objections. If she objects, you should not do that.